I'm Danielle Boris, and I'm so excited you chose to join me for this episode of Unboxing Humans, the podcast where we unlock the human-to-human business model by uncovering what makes each of us a little weird. Unboxing Humans is brought to you by Sandbox. Sandbox's talent intelligence technology uses intrinsic motivation and purpose to identify who is disengaged from work and how to uniquely re-inspire each team member. Learn more at sandboxtogether.com. My guest this week is Lex Arnell. Lex is the Global Operations Manager of the Talent and Organization Performance Team and Chief of Staff to the Chief Performance Officer at the Carlisle Group. Lex is married with an adopted 12-year-old, has two Golden Retriever puppies, and lives in Austin, Texas. She believes everyone should harness their superpowers to excel in their professional and personal lives. As a human capital leader, Lex's number one piece of advice is to deeply understand the business and value agendas in order to be a true partner to the CEO and management teams. Lex, welcome to Unboxing Humans. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. This topic is so energizing to me and what better way to spend an evening than with you and talking about you know, unboxing humans and finding their potential. I love that. And I love talking to you about this topic. I know we can talk for hours, but we're going to try to keep it to about 30 minutes for everyone's podcast listening pleasure. And so for the listeners who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what it means to be an operations manager in the talent and organizational performance space? That's not a title you hear very often. Yeah. Okay. So I think about my role as twofold, really. One, I mean, the talent organization performance team at Carlisle really helps our portfolio companies think about their talent strategies, thinking about how to connect their value creation plan and what they're trying to do with the business in the next three to five years with the right talent, the mission critical talent, right? That's going to be able to capitalize on that value at stake. And so I really help them think about their their talent strategies. And we have a, a bunch of tools and resources for our management teams and helping them think about that and giving them performance diagnostic tools to really understand their organization and understand how to change it and evolve it, especially since a lot of these companies are at inflection points, right? At the time that a private equity firm buys them, they're at an inflection point, whether that means continued growth, whether that means, you know, operational efficiencies and excellence, or who knows what other exciting things are on the horizon. Um, for any given company. So that's what the team does. My role is to engage with the the CHROs, the chief people officers in our organizations, help build community with them. And then from a global operations perspective, I run all of our talent organization performance initiatives. So we've got a portfolio of 200 companies globally. And so every time we are actively involved either with a transition or a change management initiative or connecting talent to value or understanding an organization problem and helping them dissect that and be able to, you know, address those challenges in a, in a, you know, crazy time. I'm involved in all those initiatives and helping project manage them and make sure they get done. And that, you know, the performance, the operational and financial performance of the business is actually changing due to the, you know, the value our team is bringing to the management team and helping drive that. So that was a long-winded way to say, that's what a global operations manager 
her at the Carlisle group really does day to day. That's so much to think about <laughs> and I'm excited to unpack what all of that means. You said the phrase linking talent to value a few times. What does that really mean? Yeah. So the way the way that we think about it is, you know, every company has a target or what we call a value creation plan that they want to, you know, do within a certain time period, right? And sometimes even for a company, it's just how they're thinking about the next either, you know, 12 months or three to five years, depending on where the business is and its life cycle of maturity. And so you know, really defining that value creation plan and putting values on those, right? If you are going to expand internationally, what does that really mean? And how much value is at stake there, right? And so once you have that value agenda where you've got real numbers on paper, then you start to think about critical roles and not people, right? So often management teams want to go directly to the you know, the bench that they have and the people that they have and this person's critical and this person's a champion, which is important information, but that's not where we want the conversation to go from the beginning, right? We want to be super clear about the value that we're going to deliver. We want to be super clear about the roles. What are the mission critical roles that you need? And we suggest only 20 to 25, and that's for companies that are 300 people, and that's for companies that are 50 billion. Um, 25 roles is where you should be as a management team talking about those 25 critical roles that are going to capture the value. And we spend a lot of time with management teams talking about those critical roles. You know, what are they doing and how do you define success and what are the critical priorities and what's the value on that person, right? Because you want to make sure the right person is is in there. And in order to make sure you've got the right person, you've got to make sure you've got the, you know, the job kind of specked out and understood. And so we spend a lot of time on that roll card and a lot of management teams always say to me, that was much harder than I thought it would be, right? Because you're not talking about the person and the skills that a person has. You're talking about in a world where you have to capture a hundred million dollars, what does that person need to do and what traits do they need to have? And how are you, you know, willing to retain them? And once you have those roles clearly defined and you've got your value agenda clearly defined, you can then start to talk about the people, right? And understanding who do you have? Do you have people who, you know, have, have done that before, right? Have you had somebody on your team who has expanded internationally before? And if not, you want to make sure you go buy that talent. Now, if you have amazing talent who, let's say, let's say you have a marketer and part of your value agenda is to, you know, grow marketing then if you have a great marketer, then that might be the right person for that critical role, right? And then it come, becomes much more about how do you retain that person and how do you think about making sure that, you know, management spends time with them and you're building a bench underneath of them in that development area. So there's a lot to unpack in the connecting talent to value arena because it's every, it's the employee life cycle of really understanding what you're doing with the business, making sure you've got the right people in the role, and then making sure you're developing the organization for, you know, the continued success of, of those initiatives. So yeah, that's connecting talent to value. I can imagine how hard that is for leaders to do because, I mean, in my work, right, so often we talk about how a leader just always says, oh, this person's a champion, thus they'll be a champion at whatever I put them on because they're a hard worker. And Absolutely. They'll, they're a very hard worker. They're brilliant. They're amazing. That's fantastic that you have them, but it's all too easy to put the wrong, the, a great person in the wrong role 
and suddenly totally. they're not that high performer anymore. Totally. I mean, my two favorite phrases, Danny, are what got you here won't get you there. Right. And that we see that so much within organizations on their life cycle maturity, right? For founder led businesses, we see this often, right? Where you, you know, they've done an amazing job building the business to this point, but maybe they've reached their capacity. And that means that they need to either, you know, take on a different role within the organization or, or, you know, have somebody else come in and really who have, who has done it before so they can get them to the next level. It's all about understanding that that journey, right? And how, what got you here won't get you there. And my second favorite phrase I would say in this arena is, you know, at the end of the day, you, it's really about understanding the critical priorities of the role because, because if you don't, you know, you can take somebody who's worked at a big company, like a Salesforce or a Google or whatever, and they could have been a very high performing, meaning they've, you know, continued to mobilize and move up the the chain at, at Google very quickly. They've done amazing work. They've got a lot of evidence to show that. But if you put them in a high growth situation, they may not be as amazing because they're used to the resources and they're used to the structure and they're used to the advancements, right? Where, you know, just because you have that skill set doesn't mean it's going to be applicable in this context of a business, which is why it's so important to have the the value agenda and the context of the business, right? And we say this when, even when we assess talent, we, you know, there we've got three CEO candidates or three CHRO candidates for a certain business. We can't just say, oh, this person is amazing talent, right? We have to say, what's the context of the business? What are the critical priorities? Will this person be able to deliver based on, you know, the the evidence of their, their resume and their experience? Will they be able to deliver in this environment, in this context with this team, right? Because, I mean, you know this well, and I'm sure this is where the conversation is going to go next, but, you know, business is a team. And so it's, and it's the responsibility of all those pieces working critically together in order for the organization to continue to, to grow and catalyze. And so it's so incredibly important, especially for CEOs and management teams to really understand each of their players on their team and what motivates them and what it, what are their strengths and what are their derailers and how are they how do they act in stressful environments and then how as a leader do you digest that information and make sure that you're putting them on you know in their superpowers because nobody wants to not be working in their superpowers so which i think is a beautiful segue for the next part of the conversation uh, i like that you you assumed where the conversation was going to go based on everything I always talk about. I had questions about your career, but we could take it this way. We can do that too. We'll, we'll circle back because I think your career is also so interesting. So we'll get to that later okay. on. Yes, I agree completely, right? That it's all about understanding your talent and what motivates them. When you're at that inflection point as a company, what are some of the steps you can take to understand your talent now that you have those job descriptions? lined up, or even if we take a step back from that, if someone that doesn't have the privilege of working with you, <laughs> what are some questions they can ask themselves to start to separate out role from person in order to then fit the right person into the right role? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Hate to be repetitive, but I really think it all comes down to first alignment between the, across the management team, right? Like you, you as the leader of the business have to be really aligned with your top level of management on what you're trying to do with the business and what you're trying to drive. And often those initiatives, depending on the stage of the business, will come from your board or will come from your sponsor or will come from the CEO, right? Especially if we're talking like startup founders, right? Where they are, they are driving an agenda. And so it's really about understanding what is, what are the core bets that you're going to make and where do you want to be in 12 months? I mean, bringing this back to, to the human aspect for a minute, like we are there, we hear so much nowadays about manifestation, right? And your own wellness and your wellness practices. Like what are you doing as a human to stabilize you? And a business is, is, you know, a reflection of the humans within it, right? And so a business also has to be extremely focused on what are the core priorities and what's your timeline to get those done? And then as a leader, how are you going to hold the people on your team accountable for getting those things done? But in terms of your, you know, the second part of the question of breaking the, the role from the person, it is so easy to talk about a person because I think oftentimes leaders fall in love with either the great traits or the development traits of a human, right? It becomes so easy when you interact with someone to say, you're so amazing at problem solving, but when it comes to, you know, speaking in front of a crowd, you can you can't articulate the story well. But that's not grounded in what does this person need to do, right? And sometimes it just takes critical critical rigor around defining those. And that's when I, when I say critical priorities, Danny, I mean those five to seven things that you're holding that person accountable for. And those things, then that's why we encourage our boards and management teams, you know, these, these role cards will evolve over time as the value agenda evolves and as you capture that value. And you should be critically talking about this talent at every board meeting, right? Or on a regular basis to make sure that you are attracting, retaining, and keeping track of keeping track of your talent and, and where their difficulties and making sure you're getting rid of roadblocks for them. And those are the people that you groom and continue to keep pulse on. But you know, you have to just be able to put aside the person. And even though you love them, it might just mean that you have to find a different part of the organization for them so that their superpowers can shine, but really just getting rigorous about what are the core things and putting numbers with words, not just, you know, this person needs to X. It's like this person needs to, you know, like numbers with words type of sentences, right? This amount to deliver by this time is what I mean by that. It's going to be hard and it's going to feel uncomfortable, but part of that is also having a really good facilitator. And I do recommend having somebody come in to have these conversations with management teams because oftentimes, you know, that conversation just keeps going back there. And it's nice to have somebody say, I know you want to talk about this amazing person in the organization, and that person can still be a champion. But right now, what we're focused on is really understanding the role that's going to capture the value so that we can then put the right person in that role. So I know not a a great answer, although I know it's better than the consultant answer, which is it depends, right? Well, what I take from what you said is that where people are so excited to talk about the talent, the individuals, because they want to keep them. But at the end of the day, the way to retain talent is to do the roles first. I mean, I obviously talk a lot about 
understanding your talent consistently that, you know, a one-time survey doesn't give you any information or twice a year, even the pulse surveys, they really don't get at what drives your talent and what they really want to do and how they want to grow and then how to align that with the right role. I mean, I guess it might depend on the company, but how often should companies reevaluate? It definitely depends on the company. I think one of the threads I want to pull on that you just said, though, this idea that it is a constant conversation is so important. And we have to remind ourselves that surveys within organizations are really great for data right? It's data to react to. It's data to help us change and evolve our organizational health, right? But when we want to talk about like that organizational health is a separate topic from talent development and talent strategy, right? And making sure that you have the right people in the right roles. And I think that that is so important in this space to really understand that that those two, yes, they interact with one another. And in a, in a grand world at a, at a perfect company, which by the way, doesn't exist, but at a perfect company, you know, a company is, is organizationally healthy, meaning they are financially and operationally performing very well. And all the talent is in the right seat, doing the right things, being held accountable for what they know they are supposed to do, right? So often we hear in the talent space at companies that are especially going through high growth is that companies grow so fast and people just get more and more responsibility and they don't know what good or success looks like, right? Well, this process, although rigorous and although time consuming for the management team, because it is critical thinking and it does require you to step out of the moment today and think about the next 12 to 18 months or three to five years, depending on, you know, who your own, who your owner is or what you're trying to do with the business. It's important enough that it, but it will align the organization. And I think this topic is obviously very, I'm very passionate about, but alignment and communication amongst the top and trickled down through the organization is how we succeed. If there is no alignment and there is not effective communication, everything else fails. And that I I would also add like, you know, the good authentic energy that comes with excitement of the business, right? So that you can make your people feel engaged and excited. And so often I think, you know, we're like, we're going to run a survey to understand our people. Well, not really, right? If you really want to understand your people, go talk to them, go understand what they're working on, go understand their roadblocks and think about Think about how you can, you know, release those roadblocks or bring in more excitement or make sure that they're aligned with the projects that they're good at and they want to do. And that's effectively really good for the organization. But surveys are definitely not the answer to talent strategy, right? It's just not. So I feel very passionate about that. <laughs> you know, I've spoken to a lot of people off of the podcast about surveys and coming from a research background, I understand the survey. I understand the value of the survey. I understand how to write the right questions of the survey. There's a lot that goes into it. And it is an incredibly powerful tool for data, like you're yeah. saying. And I, in my first job, had a wonderful VP who explained the difference between data and insights. Mm. And it was specifically important for a researcher because when we ran our studies and we made our decks, he would say, is that data or is that an insight? Mm -hmm. And we don't talk enough about that in our data-driven world. Everything is data-driven. Show me the data. It's like, well, the data can be out there, but at the end of the day, what does it mean? Is right. something so very- that what? Yeah, the, the so, so what. 
and mm -hmm. no one has ever, it, and I think about this all the time too, I have never thought about the difference in terms of organizational health and talent strategy. And here we're talking about talent strategy because you can have the healthiest organization. And what you said really resonates with me when I think about high growth startups who have an amazing culture. They have all of the people who buy into their mission, who are really hustling to get it done. I mean, working at a startup involves so much time commitment, mental exertion, right? It, it, it really takes everything to be part of that team. But then when the startup hits a certain threshold where they've grown, they end up seeing so many people leave, right? And they say, well, that person left, these groups of people left because they like to be in a startup environment and we're not a startup environment anymore. And that never really sat well with me because I would think if you have someone who was willing to be with you through that stage of just like intensity, what are you missing now from their role? If they crave that intensity, if they crave that impact, how can you create that for them? Because I promise your company still needs that. Yeah. It's so interesting because I completely agree with you and just think that, you know, especially in the startup and for context, like I was at a startup before I was at Carlisle. I helped grow a company from 28 to 130 employees. We had to let go of everybody because of COVID. We were going out to raise a series B and, and, and had to let go of majority of the organization because of COVID. But so I, I was on the grind of the startup, you know, bandwagon for three years before joining Carlisle, where I've gotten the chance to see a lot of different businesses at different maturity levels doing different value agendas, which has been amazing. But in the startup world, you know, I think there are different philosophies around the organizational health drivers, right? And, and what you define as your X eight to 12 drivers or whatever it is. And, you know, what you just said is you're talking about the culture and engagement side of things, right? And that's because your business hasn't been forced to think commercially or think prioritization or think commercial ex or operational excellence, right? Because you've kind of just been on the drive of building your culture and your people. But I think the amazing experience that we can take away from a startup journey is that it is a journey, right? And if you are thinking about the organizational health from the very beginning and communicating it with people and working on different things and having your town halls where you are reporting your, your insights from the organizational health back to them and really, you know, creating initiatives to track the progress of those initiatives over, you know, six months or 12 months, depending how often you're, you know, thinking about this. If you're doing all of those things, there's an amazing opportunity for the talent around you to be energized by the journey and not to feel the turbulence of, you know, going from this amazing startup engaged culture, having awesome perks to like, now you're being held accountable, right? But also understanding those organizational health drivers will allow you to build some of those other levers that aren't necessarily that important today into your organization slowly, because we all know that at least one of the biggest challenges as well is change management, right? As you grow really fast, as you're going through new initiatives, as you've got things changing, which often happens in startups, you're changing, you're pivoting different directions. All of that is change management, right? And so being really clear from the beginning, it's just like how people tell you in startup land, have a mission, have a vision and drive that vision and drive that mission with your company, right? Well, 
understand your organizational health from the very beginning, make that a part of your principles and your core values, talk about those things and say, here are the levers. We know we're not focused on operational excellence today because we want to build you know, culture and engagement. And that's what's really important to us right now. But it's always going to be a part of our DNA. And so we need to find a way to weave that into our culture and engagement today, right? So, which I think just takes, you know, a lot of research, a lot of understanding, and a lot for a founder to say, this is what I want to integrate into my into my business, right? And I think often it's really hard to think about that because a lot of founders are either product-driven or they're people-driven or they've got some other superpower, right? Where they're thinking about how to drive maybe a certain strategy and vision. And so oftentimes they have a hard time bringing that all together, which is why you have great advisors and boards and people to call so that they can give you this great advice to help build a really strong culture and engaged workforce and a company set up with a great foundation to think about the future, right? Which by the way, it's not easy. And I definitely didn't do that at my last startup because in much more mature businesses and companies on different parts of the life cycle journey. It has been a real, I think for myself, revelation over the past few years at Carlisle, watching all these companies and knowing that if I were to ever go do a startup again, I would definitely be thinking about some of the things that I just talked about. Do you think based off of that, that people too often conflate engagement, culture, and talent strategy? Because I hear those words interchangeably and hearing you I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. Culture is different to me. And you, so you tell me if I'm right. So to me, culture is how you feel like within the company, what the company stands for, what it's like to interact with other people, how you guys choose to operate with each other. But engagement is about how engaged someone is in their work, right? Someone should be engaged in what they're doing, not engaged because there's free food. Like that free food perks, benefits have a place, but they don't drive engagement. Engagement comes from being aligned with what we love and what we are fuels us, what our superpowers are. And then talent strategy is how we connect the right talent to the role that engages them. Right. Yeah. I would say I definitely am aligned with, with those, you know, definitions for sure. I think, you no, know, engagement is how you feel, yeah, how you feel when you think about what you're doing, right? And I think so often, especially in startup land, it is so hard for businesses to recognize what people's superpowers are. And I can tell you, like so many companies, when you use the word superpower, they're like, no, don't wanna, don't wanna really talk about, like, you know what I mean? I just want them, I want them to do the job that I hired them to do. And I think we've had this conversation before, right? I hired them to do this and I want them to do that and I want them to do it well and I'm gonna hold them accountable for that. And... That's, that is 100% okay, right? That you want to hold them accountable and that you hired them a job to do. But that doesn't necessarily make an engaged employee, right? It doesn't make somebody excited to go to work every day unless they truly are aligned with, with, with you know, being in love with that, right? And so we do need things to help our talent understand what their superpowers are and what their development areas are. And so so often we see in these org health surveys and engagement surveys and all the data that, you know, all the data out there that professional development is like no, the number one thing that people want more of 
right? It's not, yeah, of course, everybody's always going to want more money. Everyone's always going to want better benefits. Everyone's always going to want more work-life balance. But people are screaming nowadays for more opportunities to upskill, more opportunities given where the landscape is going, more opportunities for professional development, more opportunities for mentorship right? These are things that we're seeing, especially in the Gen Z millennial space that people are wanting. And I think there is something to learn from a lot of the businesses with previous generations that have done that well, right? There are some companies who have done that really well. And so there's some stuff to learn there and evolve, of course, because business and life is all about evolution and how those things change. But I do think they're There is a lot to learn there, but I totally agree with you that, you know, culture, engagement, and talent strategy are kind of three separate concepts. For me, I think it starts with the talent strategy and then it, you, you know, then you think about the, the the culture that you want to create and clearly defining that, that culture and what that means and how you're going to do it, thinking critically about the what and the how, because they are both equally important, right? It's not just about what you say, it's about how you do it. And so, and that's how people interpret and feel, which is like the energy signature of everything, right? And then it's about how you continue to stay engaged. And that's that retention piece, right? How you continue to stay engaged. And I think that doesn't just have to do with your interaction with work. It also has to do with your interaction with your, with people, right? With your peers and with, you know, with other people on the team and within the, within the organization. So I think of engagement a little bit more as your engagement with work, but your your engagement with the people that you're doing that work with too, because so often we hear people leave because they have bad managers and people stay because they don't want to leave their amazing teams and they don't want to leave the loyal people who they, they love and they love working with, right? And sometimes when you love who you work with, that's equally just as good as doing things that you love to do at work. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting you bring that up. Recently, I've started asking people after someone says to me, I stay because of the people. I love the people I work with. I now, instead of saying, oh, great. I say, what is it about the people that you love? Because I, I'm so curious. And it tends to always come down to, well, actually, you know, it's funny that you get tripped up. I'm like, oh, what, what is it about that? I just, I just love them. But, you know, when they think about it for a moment, it comes down to, they care about me as a person. And what does that mean? It means that they're giving me opportunities to develop where I want to develop. And that's different. There's a study that I cite in my book where nine out of 10 people think that what the organization has planned for them is quite different than what they have planned for themselves, right? So When someone says, what I've seen is that when someone says, I really like the people, I love the people, I have the best manager. It's this manager is making sure that I am developing where I want to develop, which also helps the company, right? Mm -hmm. Wherever that is, but they see me as a human and they see me as a person and they will plug the name of the podcast. They unbox the human from the role. And that's really what it means. It's engagement with everything you said, but it's that connection from the data. How do we get the insight from the data? Connecting, what is everyone saying to what's actually going on? And then how do we make action from that? How do we make the change? I mean, that's, that's of yeah. course what Sandbox does is connect the right person <laughs> to the right role in their consistent development in the company. But I think I so see a, uh, 
a sequel to the book, Unboxing Teams, maybe, or something like that. But I do think, you know, this concept around people love that, you know, they, I, I, they treat me like a human, right? And I think we also need to recognize where we are, right? The past three years has been a roller coaster for our field, our type of people, right? Our field, right? We had a great resignation. We had a war on talent. We had COVID, unpredictability, unprecedented times, as everybody said, right? Now we have a labor market and we have a, you know, an interesting market dynamic and environment that we're in. And we've had, you know, arguably eight to 10 years of a really great market. And now we're feeling something different and who knows what's ahead of us, right? But a lot of people in the workforce, we have to recognize that a lot of people in the workforce haven't been through those hard times, right? In 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 all of in all of it. And they're and not to mention their burnout and all of this, right? There is a reason why a lot of the conversation right now is how to bring a heart-centered empathetic view to the workplace, right? And how we think about health and wellness and how we think about supporting our people in that way. It's no mistake that, you know, people are searching for that. And it and I personally believe that it's from the lack of connections that we've had the past three years given COVID. And so people are on their own their own journey. And I don't want to say healing journey because that's, you know, for everybody, but journey. Everybody's on their own journey and they're figuring themselves out and they're having to listen to is this really what I want to do, right? So many people we've seen even leave the workforce because I want to go work part-time or I want to go be a freelancer or I want to go do the work that I love to do every day instead of being part of a corporate, you know, monster. And there is something beautiful in that. And there's a lot more, even from an ESG, I look at even from an ESG lens, right? We're hearing so much more about ESG and that, you know, that S, that social piece is our world, right? And how much companies are pushing that and how we've got to push the boundaries there. And that, you know, companies are going to be expected to continue to raise the bar in that way. And so, you know, us as leaders in the space need to continue to, you know, critically think about those things and how do we support leaders be empathetic and be agile and be resilient. All the things that we know got us through the past three years and will continue to evolve and, and change leadership styles moving forward. It's definitely not the old school way anymore. That's for sure. Yes. I love how you phrase that the, these last pivotal three years because it was a wake-up call from all this uncertainty we were facing but overall, in the last decade, I mean, every study will say something different, but in the last decade, engagement is pretty much around 30%. Like, it's not like it was 80, 90% and it plummeted here. We've had pretty low employee engagement, depending if you think 30% is high or low. But if a third of your company is engaged at any given point, I don't find that to be great. I think that there's 70% room for improvement. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's also, a, we need to push the boundaries on what engagement means, right? Yeah. We need to push the boundaries on what it means, how we're evaluating it, how we are, how we're interacting with that language and our, and most importantly, our people. Because engagement has meant culture based on our conversation and engagement is not culture as, as you just articulated. Yeah. And I think that's such a great wrap up thought as a takeaway this difference between culture, engagement, talent strategy, and 
the best way to get talent motivated and to have that energy is by linking the right people to the right day-to-day work to the, what are they doing and who are they for, as a human, not their demographics. That's a whole other issue. Um, That's a whole other episode. If I have one message, if you are an employee, I think it's so important to be so connected to, you know, being a good employee is also being so connected to the value creation plan and what the business is trying to do. What are the priorities? You should be asking your boss, what are the business priorities? And if they don't know, they should be asking their boss. And if they don't know, they should go ask the CEO. The company should always be aligned around what their priorities are. So if you are an employee and you're listening to this podcast, like, ask those hard questions, right? Make sure that you are aligned. Make sure you know how you're being, your performance is being, you know, tracked and how how you're being held accountable. But really start from the top. What is the CEO's, what are the priorities of the business and how can you help move those priorities forward? And if you are the management or a founder or some sort of, you know, leader within a business, make sure that your, your management team is 100% aligned around what you're trying to do. And if they're not, you guys need to lock yourselves in a room and you need to make sure that you are aligned. And that doesn't mean that you need to have a perfect roadmap like some of the most mature businesses, right? You don't need to have a perfect roadmap for the next 12 months. But if you look 12 months from now and you ask yourself, where do you wanna be? What are the critical priorities to get you to where you wanna be? Align on that and continue to have the conversation around that and make sure that you're, employees and the people who are reporting to you know that as well because an aligned organization will make sure that you have a great talent strategy a great engagement strategy and a great culture strategy because everybody is aligned and moving in the same direction and that's why a rowboat works so well so those are my closing thoughts for you on that (laughs) i love that lex thank you so much for joining me today thank you for having me i really enjoyed our time together thanks for listening to this episode of unboxing humans Don't forget to subscribe and please rate us five stars. This rating allows other amazing humans to find our podcast and listen to our guests' wonderful insights. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your day.